I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I bet you thought you might never hear me say this again, didn't you? Welcome to another Rugby League Down South podcast. Coming up on the episode, Broncos chairman David Hughes, coach Andrew Henderson and record try scorer for a league game, Sean Morris. Uh, we look at the club's future and discuss the fans' forum as well with long-standing fan Ron. And hopefully some other stuff, um, which as of yet I'm not entirely sure of. That's where my script runs out. That's where at the moment uh, my work on the programme um, sort of comes to an end, but uh, there will be more, I hope. Um, let, me, let me just update you, okay, um, where to start? It's been a bit of a, a long pause, hasn't it? Um, I want to say the latest Rugby League Down South podcast, probably late is the uh, the operative word. Um, sorry for the long break, I have had a lot of other things on. Um, I've talked to a few people at Broncos games and um, you may have seen the odd comment on Twitter. To be fair, I've been... Um, rather lapse at updating things on social media as well. Um, I've had a new job, I've moved, I've been producing my Greenwich TV show, um, things have just eaten up every bit of my time this year and um, yeah, I mentioned how sort of active I've been on Twitter or inactive I guess um, is the way and I just really haven't had time to do these programmes I really want to, I really enjoy doing them and hopefully this uh, goes a little way to, to show that um, I really still do want to do them. Um, to be fair, it's the, the Greenwich TV show really that's, um, that's held me up over the last few months. It's been a bit of a, a big mission, but it's been on the TV. If you haven't checked it out, you can have a look at thegreenwichshow.co.uk. Um, it's got my name as executive producer and uh, yeah, I can uh, I can put that to bed now. We can uh, get back to doing some uh, rugby league. Hopefully there'll be some rugby league down south shaped blocks in my diary. So um, to be fair, you don't really care about that. You just want to hear the uh, interviews and the latest stuff, don't you? So let's get on with it. Hey, eh? um, We'll start with David Hughes. As I mentioned, no script at the moment. So I'm, I'm just bluffing my way into this. Then again, probably listening to my previous uh, programmes, you'd be surprised to know that I had a script for those either. Uh, David Hughes then, uh, chatted to him at the end of the game against Batley, um, at the final home game of the season, final game ever at the uh, at the Hive um, of Rugby League before they move on to uh, Ealing Trailfinders next season. A bit more of that in, in, in here. Um, always, I say difficult to talk to David Hughes. He's always happy to talk to me and to be fair, he often uh, leans over when I've been doing the... Uh, PA announcing at the games this season, uh, even at half time, I think a couple of games ago, um, he sort of shouted over, You're right, and went over and shook his hand. And he sort of whispered to me that he'd, they'd signed a few players. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's more than willing to uh, to tell me things. Um, then again, whenever you, whenever you put him on tape, uh, you generally get the, uh, you know, the, the standard responses. So uh, you don't get anything sort of concrete or new uh, in this interview with David, but uh, you can sort of 
see the things that I'm hinting at um, as we talk through and you can gauge his reaction there. So uh, here is the Broncos chairman, uh, David Hughes, in conversation with myself um, just at the weekend. Let me just get you on that, David. Okay. How good was today and how good was Sean Morris? How nice was it to see Sean Morris with those five tries? I think Sean Morris is a shame this year that he's not really had the uh, opportunity to show his pace and his capability. And even though we've had a lot of injuries, uh, today was a great uh, display of what he can do. He's a blisteringly fast player, so I'm very pleased for him. And uh, five tries, sensational. Just looking around now, it's the final time you're going to be here at the Hive. How has the last two years been? People sort of look at it from afar and think it's been difficult. But, I mean, what has it been like for you? Uh, it's not been easy because, you know, access to the pitch has been difficult. Access to training ground has been difficult. We've had to get our own training ground. Uh, uh, it's not been easy. I'm not quite sure also that Harrow itself, as opposed to Barnet, is a, a location with chimney pots that watch rugby league. So, again, I, I think uh, I'm very excited. Rather than talk about Harrow and Barnet, I think I'm very excited to talk about the trail finders. And on, on that, you've obviously talked about you know the, the pitch, you're bringing everyone together, you know you, you feel like you're going to be able to put your own shot there, a bit more of a club feel rather than a team. What are you looking forward to from sort of your owner's point of view of moving to Ealing? Well, I generally feel for the first time it's a grassroots operation uh, at Trailfinders and they want us there desperately. I mean, when I say desperately, they make us so welcome, so flexible what we can do. And we're dealing with the owner of the stadium. It's not a rugby union club. Trailfinders own the stadium, the facility. It's a fantastic location. Uh, I think it's a massive advantage to play on the artificial pitch like Saracens do and like other clubs witness do. Uh, I think it's a big help in the winter. We can train up day and night. Uh, our junior under our academy can play there. We'll play all our games. The academy will play there before the first team game every Sunday. The academy moved from Feltham. They're also going to train, weights, everything. We're all under one roof for the first time ever in uh, London Broncos. We all know that a couple of years ago there's a few bleak times from the club. Has this season reinvigorated something back inside of you? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that because I, I, at the beginning of the season I, I did feel that uh, with the initial squad we had, the, the roster, that we would make the playoffs uh, at the top four and be in the washing machine. Uh, I have to say that many things happened in the club early on, uh, which I don't know want to go into. And We sent players home, we dismissed players, uh, our coach uh, went home. Uh, even after a big pre-season. So lots of things happened, uh, which I could say is a reason why. We had a lot of horrendous injuries as well. Uh, but the roster for next year, we've only got two more players to sign. It is very exciting. We've not, not announced them all yet. So I think the calibre and the capability and the character of the players we've signed would be even more careful for this next season. You've said, you know, you want to get back to Super League. You want to put this London club back in the biggest spotlight in rugby league. Is it a next year or die? Uh, in my opinion, it's next year. When I look around, without being complacent at the Featherstones, the Leeds and the Bradfords, I think we're better than them next year I re- with the squad we've got, which is not fully announced yet. So, uh, to me, it's a requirement to get there. I wouldn't say it's our last season, but I would think we're far more capable looking around our competition. I think next season, I hopefully, we're under the radar. Bradford and Lee will be uh, there, and hopefully we're there as well. But, sort of put it the other way around, you wouldn't be happy if you were in this competition again next year? Uh, I would be, I'd be disappointed uh, if we don't make the so-called washing machine with Nigel and the Daz. <laughs> and just finally, on this season, you've still got a couple of games to go. You're going to go to Featherstone and you've got the semi-finals. Can you go on and win this plate and would that put you in a position to, to really spring forward to next year? I think the last two games, the Workington game at home here and Batley, have got a very big pack. 
is a great preparation. If you see the results, I've just seen them this weekend, where Dewsbury's, maybe they're saving themselves for the games, who knows. Uh, I think it's good preparation to play either Dewsbury or Featherstone away, be it once or twice, and uh, we owe Dewsbury, they've beaten us about four times this season, including friendly. And I know that London Broncos name, you know, you brought it back, that sort of burns inside of you. How much of that sort of fire is still going with London Broncos and how you feel to the club? Well, it's a massive fire and I think we've got a coach there, Andrew Henderson, who lives and dies it and an uh, outstanding guy. He, he looks at the character and the culture of the club probably in more depth than anybody we've had before. So uh, with him and the squad we've got and uh, I'm fully behind it, I'm quite excited. David Hughes, the Broncos chairman. Um, it does still seem like that the fire is burning. Um, he's excited. I think he's definitely he's disappointed. He's he's unhappy with how the last two years have gone um, on a number of levels, really. Uh, and he's looking for a bit of stability, aren't we all? Um, and looking to try and uh, to move things on. And I think he, he sees the opportunities that there is uh, at Ealing. And I've said to many people in conversations in the bar, uh, over social media, um, the club just needs to take advantage of whatever opportunities it sees and make the most of them. And uh, Fingers crossed uh, they can do that at Ealing in 2016 and beyond. And uh, we will see. Had a great conversation in the... Uh, in the press room, uh, I'll mention it to Andrew Henderson in the next interview. Um, but ahead of the uh, the Batley game, I tell you, it was the most heated conversation I've probably ever had in a in a, in a press room um, before the game. We were debating a, a London media group and the potential in the future of rugby league in London, and some fairly sort of forthright opinions and uh, conclusions from uh, a number of the press that were gathered in there. Uh, um, not too many of us, obviously, um, but yeah, we were talking about the future and. Um, the prospects and what the plan should be and could be for the future. Um, generally put it down to you need a lot of time and a lot of money um, and whether there is someone who has both of those things and the patience to wait 15 years for something to happen and to have impl- you know, put down a plan for those 15 years beforehand and whether fans would wait 15 years for anything to happen, I'm not too sure. It's, um, it's a tricky one. Um, right now to on, on to uh, Andrew Henderson the uh, head coach of London Broncos thrown in the deep end really wasn't he this year um, gave his opinion again at the end of the game against Batley tried to sort of steer away from the game itself and, and move more widely into uh, how he's getting on the plans again nothing too much concrete in here about news of signings and the future and um, what he's planned but again I just wanted to get his feeling as for now he's sort of settled in how he feels and um and what he what he what he thinks about what the club should do and, and the direction that they can go. So uh, it's a long interview with Andrew. He was always uh, very uh, comprehensive uh, in his answers, but I had a good chat with him. Um, never wanted to shy away from the questions. And uh, here is the chat with uh, Broncos coach Andrew Henderson. Hendo, two really good performances in the last two weeks, both at home. It seems like you've put in two really good semi-final building performances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Uh... We spoke about this as a group, uh, you know, a few weeks back. We were, we were struggling, you know, no doubt about it. We were struggling in terms of numbers to get on the field. We, you know, we were pretty busted up, and a lot of young players playing, and we still got a lot of young players playing. And uh, you know, and but I did say to the group that, um, you know, if we stick together and we continue to work hard and 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 we're honest with each other as a group, it, it'll turn for us, you know, and we'll come through it. You know, we just had to realistically face. You know some some tough times there. You know I think we had one win in, the, in eight games, so it was it was a tough period for, for the team. Um, but uh, like I said, you know 
I saw something at Dewsbury away three weeks back. I saw a different attitude and I saw a bit of a buzz back in uh, back in the camp. And um, and again, you know, I've, I'll be honest, I've stepped away from training as much as well so I could give more coaching input. I felt, you know, that was probably part of the reason that we weren't maybe executing as well as we needed. I needed to probably coach the team more as, as, as opposed to training with the team. And certainly um, I think that's had a positive effect on the team. Uh, I've changed a few things up in, in my approach to training and things like that. And again, I think that's had a real positive uh, impact on the team. So I'm just really pleased for the players. You know, they've, they've, they're buying in and they've stuck with it. And, and like you said, we saw some glimpses at Dewsbury away and then, and then we've come uh, at home now and, and we had a, a great result there. Uh, against Workington last week, we played some great rugby league football, and and then obviously this week we've had a uh, another fantastic performance with, um, like you said, that mentality of building towards a semi final, and that's what we spoke about. You know, before we played Workington at home, I said, you know, we've got now uh, three games leading into the, into the final, so it's about getting better each week and building towards that, and and treating it like player football now. And um, I just I'm really yeah. pleased with how disciplined the players have been. And, uh, and how they've respected what we've been trying to do. So I've got to give them a lot of credit here. So it just dawned on me in the back of the head that this is only your first season as a head coach. There's yep. a big long piece with you in the uh, match day programme today where you've pretty much laid bare certain things that have gone on, certain things that you're putting in place for next year. Yep. Um, you know, working with Danny Ward more next year with yep. the first team rather than him being with the uh, under-19s. Yep. How are you... Um, dealing with it, it seems like you've really got yourself grounded. You're moving down, yep. and and you know you're you're really fitting into the role. Yeah, oh, look, it's been a, it's been a, um, uh, I suppose a, I've had to adapt pretty quickly. I guess is probably the right word, and it's been a, a great learning curve for me. Um, I think when you speak to I speak to other head coaches in the game, and um, you know, and, and and a lot of them say it's London's a different animal in terms of you know you're not. There's a different mentality, I guess, with the players down here. Certainly, the the London kids and you know what they've been brought up with, and um, and they haven't been. It's not like you know some of these kids have been brought up in these rugby league heartlands areas where they live and breathe rugby league, and you know, a lot of our kids have only probably discovered it, you know, late on, and have got into the game late on, and um, you know, there's that mentality to it as well, and they probably don't live and breathe it as as much as we'd like them to, and um, you know, but again, that's part of my job now is to try and challenge. Uh, things at the youth level to try and get better as well and uh, so you know um, we're putting better things in place for our kids so when they get the first team they're better prepared Um, I'm hoping that we don't have to see what we've seen the last two years where we're seeing kids playing first grade football too many of them you know it'd be nice to blood them appropriately (laughs) you know that's been a bit of a challenge as well but you know but again I've had to learn as well about the logistics of London and how that affects things and um, you know just like you say that there hasn't been any success at this club so there is that losing mentality within the club um, and that's things I've got to now try and fix and, 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 and try and get that winning mentality back which you know I think this year obviously I think we've won now what 15 lost 14 so you know, again that's a big step forward in terms of where the club's been in recent seasons we've had more wins than losses so that's a positive you know and again like I speak about if we can come through and win a final you know again it gives some players an opportunity to play in a big game you get some big game experience which none of our players have really had um, you know, and uh, again, hopefully that gives us a platform there leading into the next year. But uh, I've got a big job on my hands. There's no doubt about it. You know, because it's not my role's not just going to be. I'm not going to have the luxury like you do at some clubs where you can just coach the team and you're left to that because all the infrastructure around you is strong and and uh, established and, and working like clockwork. And uh, you can just tinker with your team and that. Um, you know, I'm going to have to have a bit of an impact and, and work alongside the CEO and the chairman and trying to put some stuff off the field in place to be stronger. Because again, for me. Uh, if you have success on the field, you know, both things have got to work hand in hand. You know, I mean, I've got a responsibility in terms of 
performance with the team and getting that side of things right and also the club's got the responsibility of getting the backroom uh, stuff and infrastructure right as well so um, you know and again it's I think it's pretty common knowledge that you know, we are running with a pretty skeletal sort of support staff at the moment that's both off the field and on the field and we've got to strengthen those areas but again you need money to do that and you need to um, you know be more successful to, to allow that to happen but I'm hoping that when we go to Ealing, the big thing there is we're going to put some roots down um, and we can establish ourselves as a club there. That's the big point. You know, involve ourselves with re-engage with the community staff and um, hopefully off the back of that, if we're winning, we bring in more sponsorship. If we make top four, we bring in more Sky money and that'll help us be able to put things in place the following year to strengthen again. And that's what we've got to be realistic about. You know, we're now in the championship. We're probably, you know, at ground zero now in terms of where we're at as a club and we have to seriously rebuild you know what I mean and it's it's going to take step by step step by step and it's the same in terms of the team you know I've had to inherit a team this season you know there's players that will be leaving at the end of the year I believe the players that I'm bringing in for next year are better people and better players so that will strengthen certain areas within the team but then again at the end of next season we need to see where we're at where we finish and we have to look at it and go right how can we be better again what areas of the team do I need to strengthen and I have to let a few people go and strengthen certain areas again to be better again the following year and the same applies to what we do off the field you know we've got to make sure we get a strong community department up and running We've got to make sure that we've getting our, our our supporters association involved with the club again, which is a big, big thing for me. I'm glad that we started to re-engage with them. Yeah, you know I mean, because they're the heart and soul of this club, and uh, what they can bring to the club is massive. You know, they, you know, they can do so much in terms of some of their their support work and raising money and. Um, you know, doing functions and even helping out on a match day and things like that. So there's so many, um, you know, good things and positive things I think are going to be in place for next year. But let's not kid ourselves. We've still got a long way to go. And we've got a lot of things we've got to build and put in place moving forward. But the, the most exciting thing for me is there has been some forward thinking. I think for the first time in a long time, there has been some genuine things getting put in place now that I think in the past may have been talked about but never really come to fruition. Um, and that's what excites me. That's why I've made the decision that I'm going to commit to this club. Um, I'm going to do as much as I can to drive it. And, and, and as you pointed mm-hmm. out there before, me now moving down from Sheffield with my family, um, it's going to be a massive help for the club. It means I'm more accessible to do more stuff for the club and also for my players. Because I, as much as I've been working hard, I still think I could be. I think I could be doing more for the players um, and and for the club itself. And it's been tough, but I couldn't move down from Sheffield early on the year because a I needed to know that we had the commitment from the owner that, that we're still going to be um, here next year as a club, and also where we're we going to be based. So I'd hate to the fact I've moved to St Albans or something, and then all of a sudden we moved to Ireland, and I'm like I'm not uproot the family again. So there's been so many things I couldn't rush into that decision, but because I've got the confidence now in the, in the owner and the chairman and the CEO that they genuinely want to take this club forward in the right way. Um, that's why I want to be here and that's why I want to make this a success. So we'll certainly die trying anyway. I had one of the most interesting conversations in the press room that I've had before a game for, for many a year today about the future of the game, the success of the game. You've sort of touched on it quite, quite comprehensively there, but briefly, I guess, how do you see the vision for Rugby League in the future? You've, you've, you've seen it this year, like you say, you've, you've spoken to coaches, I guess previous coaches yeah. of the club, yeah. to find out how it is. You've got a measure of it. Where does the future lie? How does the future lie? Sort of what direction do you think the club needs to go in? The future lies in our kids, um, and that's a big one for me. You know, we, we've got to, we've got to 
get our brand out a lot better. I think we've got to be, uh, make sure the London Broncos brand for me is a big brand. Um, it's recognisable, it's identifiable. You know, with the professional team in London, I think we have to market ourselves better and, and let people know. And I think we need more exposure. We need to get out there and, and be proud of what we are and what we represent. Um, we've got to then be able to attract more kids you know, into our systems, but then we also have to get our youth structures better as well in terms of better coaches to coach our kids. You know, and part of my vision is to try and keep some of our ex-players here once they retire to keep them in, you know, because we need more rugby league people down here. That's a given. I think there's some fantastic volunteers and there's some, some, some fantastic people working within the game at grassroots and even some, some great staff working with us at the Broncos at the moment, but they still need to be more upskilled. They still need to have more knowledge of the professional game. Um, and that's why we need to be better in terms of trying to produce and develop coaches uh, as well as players and uh, and also like I said part of my, my vision is we need to we need to develop our kids and we need them to get them better because I've noticed this year already that some of the kids I'm coaching in this first team they still haven't got some of the core fundamental skills of rugby league and game awareness that are needed for this level of football um, so we need to be better at getting that done at a younger age you know, I'm not saying we're going to get that right in one year no way you know it takes time but that's that's a big vision for me getting it right there because our kids are the future we need people that want to that are from London or that live in London and, and believe in the London way and, and that's something as well you know any players now I'm signing from up north have to move to London they have to commit to London um, and they have to uh, you know understand we're doing it the London way that's it you know there's no, no excuses so uh, in the past we've had people obviously commuting from up north and you know and vice versa and it just doesn't work you know and, and people just don't get settled I mean you're always going to have that you might always get one or two people that just don't quite settle because it is a different lifestyle from what they're used to up north and, and whatnot. so um, you know but uh, certainly the kids are the future for me but again I want to be in a position where I can blood them properly and you know look after them and have a duty of care uh, to develop them properly you know instead of throwing them out there like lambs to the slaughter that we're doing at the moment and to be fair to them some of them have really stepped up well this year and done a great job for us I've got to give them credit but they'll certainly be sore at the end of the season that's for sure and you stole my last question when you came into your press conference and you sat down and said three more games yeah. you know a bit huffing and puffing a little bit if you don't mind me saying yeah. um, you've obviously played this year and I guess you didn't see that or foresee that at the beginning of the season no, I didn't. are we going to see you again next year no, in a shirt no, hopefully not mate it's you know I, t- I can't be doing it again it's been and that's been the other tough thing too Ian you know I came down here, my intentions were to be an assistant for two years to almost get groomed, I guess, uh, with a view to take over. That was the kind of plan. And uh, obviously, stepping into the head roles come a lot sooner than expected and um, thrown in the deep end. And like I said, you know, it hasn't helped me living up in Sheffield because it's affected probably some of the stuff I could do with the team. Um, and then the fact that I had to make that decision to come out of retirement due to the, the injury crisis that we'd sustained and the fact that we needed some senior people out there. And it certainly helped there for a while. Um, I found myself getting, like I am now, very, very much mentally, physically drained and tired. And I made a decision to pull myself away with a few games to go when I brought James Cunningham in. Um, probably didn't help the team, to be honest, because probably needed me out there more than ever. But I didn't want to kill myself because I still had a duty. My, you know, my coach first, not a player. And I had to think about that. Um, and then obviously I made the decision to come back in because I'm so determined that we finish on a high this year and I could just see we were losing our way and we lost our confidence there. And again, we had more injuries to senior blokes going in. Thackeray, Lovegrave, Harrison, you know, and it was just like, oh, no, I'm going to have to step back in here, you know, because, I mean, even two or three weeks ago, we played Dewsbury away. The team was... The average age of the team was probably 21. You know, well, they're aged anywhere between 18 and 24. There was only me and Elliot Keir out there over 24. So that shows you a little bit where we're at. Um, you know, but yeah, it's 
it's certainly been tiring. It hasn't not been ideal. It certainly affects you. Um, and I don't believe in it, player coaching. I just don't think it's the, the right thing. I think you're doing a disservice to both roles because you can't fully commit to the training side of things because you still have a duty of care to coach. And then on the coaching side, you, you certainly can't do your... Yeah, your coaching job to the full potential because you you still got to look after yourself. You can't not train during the week and do nothing, you know, because otherwise you're not preparing to, to play. So it's a real tough balance. So, um, but I have to give Danny Ward a big rap because uh, I think he needs to mention, you know, because he's been fantastic having to run all that academy program on his own and also trying to support me through the year, uh, the year from the first team and then actually having to step up on match days when I've been playing. And you know, I think he's been uh, certainly um, not mentioned enough, mate, for his efforts. You know, you know what I mean. So yeah. And I think I've asked you in most interviews during this year, you're still enjoying it? I oh, love it, mate. You know, I love it. I mean, I love the game. I'm passionate about the game. I'm passionate about the game in London. I really want it to work. I think there is an opportunity. I just think it needs more people that, that, want, to, that want to work hard, um, be honest and, and, and uh, drive it. You know, I think it just needs some people to drive it. You know, I'm going to drive hard to, to push success down here. Uh, and the people that I'm bringing in on the support team, you know, like I said, I've got some great support staff that buy in. Um, and I've got to challenge the... The the, uh, the chairman and the CEO to drive the standards from the from the uh, off field side of things, and they can continue to challenge me to drive standards on the field, and hopefully together we work together well and, and we push it forward and we get to where we need to be. That's back in Super League, but be a strong club in the Super League. Ever since I uh, got to know Andrew Henderson, working with him on uh, Premier Sports, that was the the first place that um, I got to know him properly. Really, having come across him in rugby league circles before that, but only briefly. Um, always been great to chat to. Uh, always been happy to answer questions, and uh, there he is with his thoughts about this year, next year, um, and what can be done. And of course, let's not forget this game's to come uh, yet this season. And I think. Um, He's looking forward to hopefully not having to play so much. He was absolutely shattered at the end of that game. Um, and he didn't play for, for overly long. I just think it shows how much that the job um, takes out of him. He says, you know, he's, he stepped away from bits of training and stuff like that. But um, I think it just shows you know, how hard he works and the fact that, um, you know, only playing for a short spell, really, um, of the game on Sunday as it was. Uh, it just really does uh, take it out of him. Uh, now, in that game on Sunday against Batley... Um, Sean Morris scored five tries. Uh, he just seemed to be on the end of absolutely everything. Um, and just as we were making um, sort of the, the, the final announcements on the pitch at the end of the game, um, Stevie McGee, the, the kit man, came over to me and said, uh, oh, you might want to say, uh, Sean Morris, you know, he's, he scored five. No one in the history of the club has ever scored five in a league game before. Um Quite a few people have scored four. I think you said Luke Dawn's got four a number of times, but no one's ever scored five in a league game for the club. Uh, Martin Afire scored uh, five in the Challenge Cup run in 1999. Um, someone told me told me it might be against Wath Brow, uh, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yes, it sort of equals Martin Afire's record of five for the club in one game. But uh, Sean Morris gets the most in a league game, hold uh, the record... Um, he can have it all on his own. Uh, so went down to the dressing rooms at the end of the game, had a chat with him about his future. So it t- transpires as well that um, at the moment he hasn't been offered a contract uh, for 2016. Um, Andrew Henderson mentioned in the, the press conference at the end of the game that uh, he may have to reconsider that now, uh, whether that was a, a tongue-in-cheek gesture uh, about how well he played, but uh, he probably admit that he, he hasn't had the opportunities to really flourish uh, in the side this year either, whether it be through... Uh, non-selection or um, sort of, I guess, just not not having the opportunity to do so. Um, but yeah, here is Sean Morris, the the five try hero. I was quite proud of my um, PA announcement as he crossed over for the fifth. 
um, sort of reaching my most confident point on the mic at the Hive. High fives for uh, the London Broncos try scorer, Sean Morris. And uh, oh, here he is. Sean, five tries. We announced it on the pitch at the end. The record holder for a league game. I mean, I'm sure you weren't thinking of that when you scored that try. How does it feel now, reflecting on it? I mean, obviously records are are nice, but it's not what you're really thinking about at the time. And it's just another good team performance. We're building week on week. Seems that we've really turned a corner now. And yeah, the sun's shining. We're playing expansive rugby league, so the outside backs get tries. And so lucky enough, I was just pushing in the right places and, and getting the offload. So yeah, very pleased. And obviously, the record's nice as well. It did seem like you were on the end of everything today. Yeah, I think I made a conscious decision last week. I took a lot of yardage carries and kind of blew a gasket and was a bit tired. And this week I was a bit more sensible, picked my, picked my carries, and then it meant I could push more in good ball, which obviously made a difference. Martin Afire scored five in a Challenge Cup game in '99. It's never been, it never, no, no one's ever scored five in a, in a league game before. In good company there. Very good company. Too good company, probably. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's nice to be, to be up there in the record books next to Martin. I guess we saw it in the um, in the Challenge Cup final as well this year, um, mm. with you know Leeds one of these players scoring five. Um, doesn't happen very often. Have you done it before? Uh, not for a while. Back in back in <laughs> like youth <laughs> stuff, so, yeah, running in tries, but no, not for not in a competitive proper proper match. No, not five. And what did you think of team performance? It just seemed like you've as a team put in two good sort of semi-final building performances. Mm. Yeah, I think like. Uh, our middle's really done wonders for us in the last few weeks. So, like, come across two big packs, especially today, and we just held our own. And, and we're running the right lines in, in good ball shape, which means we're getting space out wide. And so, I think it's really down to the middles that they're, they're just doing a great job and, and opening it up for us out, out wide. And what about you and your journey? Um, you were at Oxford before. Mm. You, you've had um, what, two seasons here now. Is that right? Was no, this is my first just season, just yeah. first season. I mean, how have you how have you found it? And, and what's what's next? And what's the future for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been a great experience. Um, a weird journey for me, as you say, coming from Oxford. So uh, really got into rugby league by accident. I was playing union and got injured and then got fit in March, which was when the rugby league season started and put my hand up for Oxford in Champ 1. Had a couple of seasons for them. And then, yeah, got picked up last year and took it. With, yeah, just really enjoyed the fact that I could go full-time and concentrate on rugby because it's always been a juggling act uh, previously. So enjoying it and... Don't know what the future holds. It's still still uncertain for next year, so we'll see. And what about the, the next few games for the side as well? You got Featherstone, and then a semi-final now with Dewsbury. I think after today's them. results, they were beaten. Doncaster beat them today. Oh, wow. okay. um, so, how are you feeling ahead of what could potentially be? If you look at it, Featherstone, Dewsbury, and then Featherstone. Featherstone. Yeah, I mean, not, I not, not doing Workington any any discredit. <laughs> I think every week it's getting harder. So Workington to Batley. Featherston, so it's building week on week. So Featherston will be a big test for us going up there and away match. We've had good home form um, the last few games, so it'll be interesting to see how we go away. Um, but yeah, I think we're building in the right direction. And if we can put a good performance in next week, then I don't see why we can't can't be pretty confident going into the next two. Just final reflections on your five tries today. Um, do you remember much of any of them? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I think most of them were just picking up on on the end of of good play elsewhere, and I. The only one I really remember is the first, which was just a loose ball and, and kind of offloaded, and I just pushed onto it. Um, but yeah, I mean, because it must be a bit of a blur. I'm thinking if you score a try in a game or two, you, you usually remember them by the end. You yeah. scored five, and it must just be a blur. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I, I just remember dotting down a few times rather than than what happened. But yeah, I think it was good play from other people that put me in holes. 
just appreciate that they're, they're a good player, really. London Broncos, a top try scorer in a lead game, um, league game even, at Sean Morris. Uh, five tries against Batley at the weekend, and uh, we'll see what happens in his future and uh, maybe if things are worked out. Again, another rumour I heard was there's only two spots, uh, or is that something that David Hughes said uh, earlier on, two spots in the uh, squad for uh, next year. So things are pretty much all signed and sealed, really. Um, I wonder if there is space for Sean, Sean Morris uh, for 2016. I just want to mention as well, um, I mentioned the PA duties that I've done for Broncos this year. I wrote about it in the programme um, at the weekend. If you weren't at the game, I haven't seen the programme, or you didn't buy a programme, or you weren't that bothered about reading it, then um, you can see it online now. It's on my uh, website, ianramsdale.co.uk. Uh, there's also a, a video which I took, um, I stuck on YouTube, just with my sort of opening uh, welcome remarks. You can have a look at where I've been based for the last uh, year uh, on the pitch, or on the side of the pitch in the dugout. Um, but yeah, the video on YouTube, but best way to find it is just uh, head to my website, ianramsdale.co.uk. Now, uh, one of the things that's happened in the last uh, couple of weeks was a uh, fans forum. Uh, David Hughes, Andrew Henderson, as we've heard, uh, and Jason Loopser as well, the um, general manager of London Broncos, um, all at the front of the fans, or in, fr- in front of the fans, uh, teething trail finders, as the uh, the fans got to ask uh, the questions that, that they want to know the answers to. So, unfortunately, I couldn't make uh, the evening. I was um, delighted to be asked initially to, uh, would I be interested in, in hosting things? Um, I tried as, as best I could um, to free myself up, but unfortunately couldn't, ironically, Exactly a week later, I'm asked to do get asked to do the shift that I wanted to do the week before, so uh, it was slightly frustrating. But I uh, wasn't able to be there, so uh, while I was uh, heading through the bar on the way out of the hive um, on Sunday, I thought I'd catch up with a couple of the fans there to find out what went on. First of all, let me apologise for getting your name wrong. Through the entirety of the season, barring today's game, you do sponsor Andrew Henderson, the player coach, and all year I've referred to you as Rob, not Ron. Rama, how many years have you known me? Since, well, quite a long time. <laughs> Probably knocking on ten. And how many years have you called me Ron? About nine and a half. Of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was just one of those things. I'll go on autopilot when I'm reading that team sheet. So, uh, yes, you, you were the sponsor of Andrew Henderson. Uh, thank you for that. Sorry for getting it wrong. I made a purposeful attempt to get it right today, and I did, I think, didn't I? You did. Yeah, you are spot on. So, Ron, you were at the uh, fans' forum on yeah. Thursday. I tried as hard as I could to be there. What was the general overall um, feeling on the night? The feeling on the night was one of great positivity. And the reason for that, I think, is that David himself feels now he has a partner that he has a a lot of trust in, people with the right motivation, um, good resources, and who want the Broncos to be there. And the challenge now, we've moved around a long time. I've counted six moves, if you count the stoop twice, in the whole of Super League, which is 19, 20 years. So that's a lot of moves. So it's important that we get some stability now. But the key to that is is for the owner to feel comfortable and feel that the you know he he's in control. And my view was that David certainly feels that, and his optimism and positivity was just fantastic to listen to. 
what potential big news came out on the evening? I know that obviously David's been very open with a lot of the fans about signings and the future and what's happening in the club and the shape. There's plenty of it that I'm sure came out on Thursday that's yeah. not currently out there in the big wide world. Any particular things that stick in your head as, as memorable bits of info? The main thing was that David wants the club, and Andrew, wants the club to be a club again. Andrew refers to we're a team in London, but we're not a club. And he's absolutely right. And those of us who've been around a long time remember when we were a club. We're a great little club. It was, we're all in this together. We had, on first name terms with the players, we got to, to, to celebrate uh, and, and commiserate at the same time. The social nature of it and the relationships was fantastic. David wants that back. And I think that having been to Ealing, that will come back next season. Things like um, the pre-match uh, meal with uh, you know, a build-up and interviews and so on. You probably you know, were part of that yourself, Ian. And you know I was involved in that for many years at the Stoop and places and other people before me. And that's coming back. We're doing things like the, the, the post-match players' player, uh, and, and lots of promotional things. The club have control of the merchandise, they just signed a fantastic deal. So again, you know, you can be part of the club. And so what we want is for to get our great little club back again. And I feel that we are going to get just that next season. And obviously, you know, you talk to many more fans than I do. You're obviously amongst the fans on Thursday. What is the general feeling of the fans towards Ealing and 2016 and how, sort of how the club has been and sort of crawling back over the last two years? What, what do the fans sort of feel about the future now? Well, positive about the future, but Ealing is, is not the stoop and it's not Griffin Park. It's, not, it's even, not a soup league stand. It's, it's, not, not, a soup it's not even the hive. So you have to understand where we are and you have to understand that we're starting virtually from scratch and that Ealing themselves are an ambitious club, but their resources are not what you would expect in Super League. So fans were initially seeing around and looking and you know, wondering where all the big stands were and everything. So initially there was scepticism, but I think that is inevitable. Uh, however, you know, once we've communicated this message properly, that look, it is where it is now, but we have big plans for the future. What we need is the team on the field, we need the club to be a club, and we need the fans to get behind us again. Get all those three three things in place. And I think someone like David and, and probably the people behind Ealing will get right behind the club. And uh, who knows where that will take us. Well, Ron, thank you for your thoughts. Just while I'm here, I thought I'm going to butt in on Anne. We're recording, Anne, so watch your language. I know what you like. Um, I've said all year round I've not been able to do these podcasts because of other things that I've been up to one of which has been the Greenwich show and you said you had absolutely no idea what it was and then you saw it the other day so can you tell people what it was what's been keeping me busy over the last few months well the Greenwich show as far as I can understand is a a local uh, show for by local people um, all about well all about Greenwich really you're a Greenwich girl I am a Greenwich girl, yeah, Blackheath actually, which, not quite Greenwich, probably a bit posher, Ooh. in my view, controversial, but no, just across the way, but no, Greenwich, as we know, most of us know, it's a beautiful part of London, 
everybody should go if you've not been. But no, I mean, it showed Greenwich off to, I mean, you know, local people seem to be getting involved in it. And no, it was, it was brilliant. I've not I'm, heard of it. I'm just thinking as well, the final episode goes out at half seven this evening, so in 65 minutes from now, I've got a two-hour drive, so probably going to end up watching this own... The episode that I executive produced, watching it in my mobile office, on my mobile, in the cars I drive home. But um, what did you uh, make of the overall show, of the Greenwich show, and, and how I've been spending my time? Was it good? I thought it was very good. I mean, I, I so enjoyed it. Um, you know, seeing... But well, you know, somewhere where you've grown up with, seeing other people appreciating it, like I do. You know, people should come to Greenwich. And, you know, it, it was it was absolutely brilliant. You know, it was a show made by people that were living in the community, about people that are local heroes, like Malcolm Hardy. You know, would it be nice, it'd be nice to get Jules Holland on there, you know? We have tried yeah, oh, you try harder. You know, he's he's a local hero, he's Jules, and an absolutely fabulous person, as was Malcolm Hardy. You know, Greenwich has got so much going for it, and let's support the show. That's what I say. You do my job very well. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. And uh, at this point, this is where the script and my sort of... Um I say my my workings out. Everything sort of uh, finishes off. There is nothing currently planned uh, for the rest of the podcast. So if I do get calls back and messages from certain people that I've been in touch with to see whether they can do an interview, then you will hear it now. Okay, so we do have uh, one interview. Um, I was hoping for a couple of others, but um, unfortunately, people are busy. We're going to do them next week. Um, hopefully bring some more uh, League One stuff uh, on the programme because that's one thing I, I wanted to do. Have a look at the uh, other sides, not just Broncos. Um, but this interview, I've just recorded it. It's, uh, well, I'm very glad that I've delayed publishing of this podcast for just over 24 hours in order to get it in. Um, who is it? It's the former London Broncos player, chief executive, coach, um, pretty much everything. Uh, Tony Ray, who is inducted into the uh, London Broncos Supporters Association Hall of Fame um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was the, the only inductee after it was sort of established and set up last year. He was the only inductee, sorry, put in this year after it was set up uh, last year. And it's taken me a while to chat with him. I wanted to get his reaction to that. I wanted to ask him about the future of the club and various stories from when he was involved. Um, some stuff in here that I've never heard before. That's the best I can say. And hopefully you'll enjoy it. It's a long chat. It's a good chat. Here's Tony Ray. Tony, just tell me about your... Your feelings about being inducted into the uh, London Broncos Supporters Association Hall of Fame early this year? Well, yeah, thanks for that, Ram. I was uh, initially incredibly flattered. I I didn't uh, really understand what I was walking into until that day, and I saw the wonderful effort that you know, Steve and the guys have been putting into not only the Hall of Fame, but heritage of the club, you know, to give all the players their number and to go through them all and see the pictures up there and the you also had a genuine energy and almost a silence in the room when they were talking about things, you know. It was really quite inspiring, actually, and um, yeah, it was a really enjoyable moment. I must say, I do genuinely appreciate it. You've obviously been um, a big part of the club over the last few years, you know, ever since you... I've got to get this right now. You joined as a player. You became chief executive. You've done spells as head coach. Um, you know, you obviously know the owner very well. It's uh, Is it a big part of you? Yeah, definitely. I um, 
I do think I was sold it really well on the way in. You know, when uh, the Brisbane Broncos and John Rebo, the guy who started Super League itself, um, sat me down and, you know, we want to make a difference in London. The brief was you get out of the get out of the leagues below and get into Super League. And, you know, I just thought, you know, that's exactly what the game needs. So I was, it was in my bones, I guess, before I got here. And then well, I probably was just going to do that as a player. And then, you know, the CEO offer on retirement was was a real left field of one was pretty hard to say no to and and I really enjoyed that and um, I guess you know I kept seeing that it was a bit of a transient club I suppose and it probably still has a fair bit of that by virtue of the fact it's not a heartland and you know, players from Australia and the north were coming in and out over the period so I always felt it was a bit of a duty to stick it stick with it and stand for that and I, I guess that's why you asked that question and make those comments is that I did stick with it you know let, let me ask you a few questions, which are, are, are quite possibly unanswerable. But I, I wonder how you'd um, how you'd feel. What was your What was your best bit uh, of being at the Broncos? You know, what was the What was the job you enjoyed most? Was it playing? Was it coaching? You know, was there a particular year or a particular game that you can look back on and say, you know, that was really the best? In terms of a job, you play forever. You just I can't describe it. It's like being a pro player, and you, know, you just. We all hear it, but you are, you know, you're getting fit naturally, you're playing with your great mates, you're raising the challenges all the time, everything's hard, as much as all the good's on the outside, so you're forever challenging yourself, and as much as, yeah, Neil, so your opposition, and, you know, even internally, you're challenging yourself for a part inside of the squad. And, uh, yeah, so, you, you know, your playing was awesome. Um, I get, you know, in terms of me adapting around all those roles, you, you just adapt. I, you know, I always probably found it was harder for the other people than for me. You know, it's, you know, you retire as a player and you walk in the door as a CEO. And in my mind, I was just doing that. I was a CEO. I wasn't sitting there thinking anything else. But I remember sort of, particularly after the off-season, the players would come away and come back. And they hadn't thought about it as much. You could see they walking in looking at the player. But, you know, obviously in my mind, I was a CEO. Same as when I went CEO to coach, you know, you harder for them than for me. Um, look, you enjoy all the roles, the, the coaching, the strategy, the game time was awesome. CEO, the build stuff and the, the diversity of it was fantastic. So enjoyed every one of them. I want to ask you about one particular situation. Um, when you brought in Brian McDermott, which, uh, you know, you, you brought him in um, and he took over as, as head coach towards the end of a year. I had a couple of tough seasons after that. Um, but has gone on to show what a good coach he is. What what was that time like, and how did all that come about? Uh, well, originally it came about. I, I I guess I was looking at clubs in England. It was about the club, really, and I, I kept thinking. You watched Man U, and it was about Alex Ferguson, and I just kept, you know, watching clubs that succeeding. They tended to follow the coach. It was a real, you know, sports so tribal, and I, but you know, we're trying to grow London and. We needed a, you know, a British coach for the first time, I felt. You know, might just be able to get more buy-in because as good as we were going, we were doing some wonderful things at the level and the, and the budgets we had and everything. We were, and we were a really credible organisation, but um, I just thought we weren't getting the, the support you wanted, you know. And to be honest, I was thinking it should be Sean Edwards. You know, my, my initial conversations there, you know, I'd sort of recommended the board that I think we should do that. We should look, you know... It wasn't that I wanted to not coach. It was just that I thought the best thing for the club was to get a, a British coach that so might make a difference. Um, 
Sean was obviously massively caught up in uh, in rugby union and doing a wonderful job. And then I was talking to Tony Smith, and he was uh, waxing lyrical about the efforts of Brian McDermott, uh, who was his assistant, and how he was evolving. And I sort of could see that from afar. And I didn't really know Mac at the time, but you know, he was always a decent guy to say hello to and everything. And so then we, uh, that happened really quickly, actually. Happened very quickly, and Mac came down and. You know, he, um, we're still very good friends to this day. I mean, I, I mean, are, are there any moments like that that you look back on at your time at the club and and think, you know, oh, that that was really good, or that worked out really well, or I was really delighted that we managed to pull this off, or I'm, I'm delighted yeah. we didn't do something else. One thing I'd say, we did everything for a reason. So that was, you know, there was a reason you could argue. Did it work or didn't it work? I always knew we were doing everything for the right thing. We didn't just react and jump around on things. We were always thinking about it. And, um, I'll tell you one little moment, which I probably not so much regret, but it was a uh, was around the stadiums. I remember we were. I was talking to a CEO at the time. I was talking to Fulham about playing there, and I thought that would have been wonderful. I could just. I always figured, you know, near the river, summer sport. Go to Craven Cottage where it started. You could pitch a you picture people sort of pulling up at the tube stations and the parks around there and walking in with their flip-flops and shorts on on a sunny day and a, you know, a bit of band and a beer on the river afterwards, you know, inside the stadium. It was working really well. And um, Mr. Mr. Uh, Fayette had just bought the club and then get, they were rocking their way up the league. Kevin Keegan was in charge. And uh, I remember sitting actually literally in Craven Cottage. had a wonderful meeting with their CEO. We'd sort of set it up and it sounded great for them and, Kevin Keegan come in, he was a Doncaster boy and he loved rugby league and we had a really good chat and we went through it with him and then he walked out and we had more of a conversation and then uh, then the CEO said, look, this is looking really good. At the end of the day, it's Kevin's call. You know, he's got to make the decision here. And then um, he called Kevin back in, he sat down and he just said, uh, uh, you know what, mate, you know, I really would love to do this. I think it makes a real lot of sense. But, you know, for all of the investment, Mr... If I had put in here, just one ball bobbled out of the goal and it cost us promotion, you know, it cost us everything he's doing. I couldn't really live with myself because this isn't about money. This is about us being there. We're never going to make him big money, if you know what I mean. It was all about sport. And he, and he walked out. I do remember thinking to myself, wow, that was so close. And there was a minute there that I just thought we maybe could have made a bit of a difference, you know, in a good stadium nearby. And, did you have it in there? And I must say, there's probably 30 of them. When you talk about, was there a moment? But there was a few like that. And having put in all the effort and gone through what you've gone through with the club, Tony, how do you feel now looking at the club? We were just talking before we started recording about sort of the, the disappointing few years that, that the club has had. Is it is it tough? Do you, do you sort of think you wish they were further up the divisions, more successful, doing better? Because that would make you feel better about sort of looking back at your time with the club? I, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, like, it's just circumstances. No, at the time there, you got regrets, you know. You make a decision that didn't work, but as I said, we made it for the right reasons at different times. Um, it hasn't been enjoyable watching where we're at. I do, you know, fundamentally, I, you know, if you ask me where I went, the club went on the slide. I think it was naturally... Uh, when the league changed its rules to have to have homegrown players... Uh, with federation players and limiting the number of imports. I think if you look at the, what happened then, from then on, the club was struggling because it was a northern rule. So effectively it was saying you had to get 
I was really happy with homegrown players. That we were all for that. But to add in the home, the, the, the federation players, well, that, that meant that we were actually picking up. If you think about, it, there's other 12 clubs up there taking their 20 players, you know, and then you know what it's like. They're all, always the best ones were staying in the north, no matter what we did. I can promise you that. As hard as you tried, they never came. So, effectively, effectively from then on, and you look at the players that came down, and you, I won't name names, but every one of them had started at one club, drafted down to a little bit of a lower club, and wasn't working out, and ended up in London. And that's every player that come from the north. And that's not a criticism of of them. It's a criticism of the system. From then on, you know. Over half of our squad was had to be made up of, I'm going to say, the 240th best player onwards, and and then the quality, you know, the quality of our overseas players was always queried, or the youngsters it was never them. It was always the bulk of the squad, in my opinion. I thought that was a ruling that um, had a real effect. If the game was genuine about growing London, that rule would never have been there. They would have said, you know, London. You've got to have X number of home play, homegrown players, even if it was more. We'll live with that. But then you're allowed to just go out and put the best team you can in London. That would have made it easy, easier for London, more overseas players, all players from the north, whatever you wanted. But it would have given us a competitive advantage. But unfortunately, from then, I can tell you, from Mac to all of us, you just could not get the squad to the level that was wanted. You know, It was a northern rule and it affected the game. And since then, we've been out and always will be. And I just want to ask you, um, finally, it was a conversation that I had with someone um, at the Hive on, on Sunday at the game about the, the, the future of the game and sort of, you know, the, the, the magic wand and the, you know, the, the success or the key to the success of the game in London in the future. What do you think the key is? You've just kind of touched on it there a little bit with the players, but um, do you think a, a successful side, a better side, you know, what 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 is or is there one thing um, that could be the key to the success in the game in London a couple of things a couple of things believe in the kids juniors but do it right get them right and then go even harder like invest in that invest in the juniors and realise that it's going to take you know, four or five years to get that back because some funding cuts has made the juniors not as strong as it has been when it got strong um, then as I said I think you know being able to recruit the best players would be a big key to it so get your stock right underneath in terms of your juniors coming through. We'll give London an edge over time. Um, be able to recruit some of the best players. I'm talking about overseas players and be whatever you want. Just make sure that squad makes sure the squad going out there. Like people in London just want a team. They don't want to. Even the northern teams. I'd rather them hate us rather than feel sorry for us. As they did at the moment with the, you know, with the players from north coming back up to play against them again. We lost our flavour a bit. So. Um, you know, you need a stadium. I, I can picture a day where, you know, say the league's got the magic weekend. You imagine London, not saying a magic weekend, you've just targeted once a year that the Broncos played at Stamford Bridge or, you know, somewhere nice, filled that every year with a one big off event, maybe against the Wigan or a Leeds, and then the rest of the time you have your own stadium and you're, you're getting your eight to tens. You know, we could actually drive it off one game a year. You could actually make enough money out of one big ticket game and providing that team was competitive and winning, I could see... If, I just know, you know, it might be rather than Northern people invest, the NRL invests in London, in the kids and the juniors, as well as putting the best players over here and, you know, retiring Australian captains and just invest in the thing. You know, make sure that you make it different. We won't, we won't just sort of grow out of what it is. And David would support that. I tell you, he'd support it the whole way and he'd stay in there with it and go right down on... And his, uh, you know, percentages and all that, he'd love that. But 
a really good partner like that would work. Uh, a, a program, work it out, you know, five or six years' time, you could, could have it together. It's doable. Just got to think about it. Do you think it'll happen? Well, the game's got to decide it. You know, people keep waiting for people outside. They've got to understand it. They, at the moment, no, they're not asking the questions. They're not listening. You know, they're more worried about, you know, the, the, the decisions made inside of the heartland. That's just a fact, you know, both sides of the world, you know. But um, you'd like to see, you know, the um, the new world rugby, the world, rugby league world committee or whatever it is called now, you know, association. They could do something about it. But, you know, it needs a shaker. Needs to be listened. Yes, it can happen, mate, of course. So I didn't know the story about uh, Fulham. Um, never really got the background to um, Brian McDermott. And uh, I didn't know at the time that uh, Sean Edwards uh, was in the frame, uh, potentially. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that from uh, Tony Ray, a man who obviously still knows the club and knows uh, David Hughes and knows what's going on uh, rather well. So, uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed uh, that, the additional extra uh, for this program hopefully more coming up soon oh and also i'm um, just saying as well off air to um to tony ray he uh his, his kids his kids love the fact that he's been inducted into the hall of fame because of they love wwe and the wrestling um and they have a hall of fame and hall of famers is quite american isn't it the, the old hall of fame stuff so um yeah i think um they love the fact that their dad is um in the london broncos hall of fame uh, or the London Broncos Supporters Association Hall of Fame, I think, to give it its uh, official title. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that was the chat with uh, Tony Ray. And unfortunately, you no know, other extra interviews for you uh, this week. If not, and I say if not, as in reference to my comment from earlier on about whether you would hear any more um, interviews, which hopefully you have. But if you haven't, I'm sorry about that. We will do more soon, I promise. But that's it for another Rugby League Down South podcast. Um, I've enjoyed doing it again. Hopefully there'll be another one soon. Thank you once again for listening. Hopefully I can get the uh, download stats back up to where they were at the start of the season because they were tremendous. Um, So uh, spread the word. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you want to see and hear in future podcasts and I will do them again, as I said before, as regularly as I can. Um, How often that will be, I don't know. Hopefully more regular than it has been. That's all I can promise. But once again, thank you. Your comments as ever on Twitter, on email, anytime at Ian Ramsdale or rldownsouth at gmail.com. But love to hear from you. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 